Hi guys, I'm Dana Al-Hanbali and this is something to consider. I started this podcast with the intention to share my journey as an entrepreneur, but I realized that I couldn't fully do that without addressing the events that led up to me wanting to start a podcast to begin with. I've talked about my experience in the industry and touched on my decision to become an entrepreneur. And the responses I get from the content that I put out there are usually around how I did specific things in spite of life circumstances. And while the journey brought with it some incredible life-changing experiences and memories, it all came at a very serious cost, which in my case was my health, mental and physical. This is an incredibly big conversation, an incredibly personal conversation, and I don't think I can cover it all in one episode. So what I want to do today is focus more on the silent intruder, the one that you don't notice until it's probably a little bit too late. It's the compilation of the mental or emotional exhaustion, or as it's more commonly known today, burnout. Burnout doesn't happen overnight. In fact, in my own experience, it happens slowly, quietly, and inconveniently. It starts as a nuisance in your head that feels controllable at first, but becomes your everyday reality until you get to a point where you can't escape the state that you've created for yourself. Burnout is the last form of resistance the body has left before it completely collapses. Some have called it a survival strategy or the first step towards any sort of major change or recovery. I think that it's a very positive, beautiful way to look at something that's pretty dark, but it isn't something that you recognize until much later in the process through recovery. You see, stress is the body's response to threat. In principle, it's meant to keep you safe. It gives you a mental boost to promote some sort of adaptation to the situation that you're in. I would even argue in some cases it drives you to almost become superhuman. Have you ever heard of cortisol? Cortisol is a hormone that is produced by the adrenal glands in response to stress. While cortisol is not deadly in and of itself, chronic high levels of cortisol can have negative effects on the body and increase the risk of certain health problems. I don't want to get into technical at this stage, as we'll address this in more detail with experts that are going to be coming on the show. But an overexposure to cortisol drains resources of energy that's stored in your body and mind. Which is interesting because the external factors are no longer what stress you out or deplete your energy. It is the stress response that your body and brain are used to that drive you to eventually burn out. I'm weary about talking about this because I think the rhetoric in the business world is so swayed in favor of the following categories. The ambitious, which is someone I would classify as more of a risk taker, a proactive go-getter, the person who works hard and who's always on the lookout for opportunity and growth at all costs, sometimes to the extent of breaking the rules to even get there. Second, there's the rational, the highly logical, meticulous, detail-oriented individual that knows how to work within complex systems and parameters, who rely mainly on data to make big decisions and have the skills to simplify the complex. And then there's the commander, the assertive, confident, outgoing person whose charisma comes to life through communication, innovation, and creativity. They come off as people who always know what they want and how to get there. They're decisive and they're always in control. And yes, Many entrepreneurs, employees, or people in leadership positions can possess different combinations of these qualities at different points in time. And we could go into the nuances of how they extend into even more categories. 
But today's consideration stems from what those categories have in common. What really brings them together? I'll tell you what it is. They put the hustle before the human. The intensity of the act or the personality's trait itself carries with it a level of intensity that is so ingrained in our minds that I can bet after hearing all of them, you can point out famous leaders that possess these qualities and credit them for their success. And it's so glorified and glamorized by society that we actually sometimes forget about the business or the brand behind the person representing it. Everyone talks about the intensity of the person and the hustle and what it takes to get somewhere. And while I'm a huge, huge advocate for hard work and never giving up and setting goals and putting your energy into productivity, because there is a feeling of purpose that comes from it, I mean, I do see it as a form of survival, no one really talks about what happens to those same people behind closed doors. The hustle is not glamorous, it's exhausting. It starts with an intense, non-negotiable routine, one that does not allow for any sort of adaptation. Mine was, I would wake up at 4 a.m. It's actually my favorite time of day. No one would force me to. I was always just an early riser. I like to be up before the sun came up. And I would be on the road by 5 a.m. That was the best time of day for me to get my work done. Things like emails, developing strategies, planning for the day. I'd have a smoothie or a cup of coffee to kick off my day. And from that moment onwards, I would continue to do things like catch up with my colleagues, go to client meetings, have creative brainstorms, work on any sort of brand development work that required kind of that strenuous mental activity. And my day would end between 5 and 6 p.m. At this point, I would have consumed at least four to five cups of coffee and relied on a hit from my vape to keep me functioning for the rest of the day. By the time I started to wind down and get ready to leave for home, I'd be on the road between 5 and 6 p.m., hoping to beat traffic. I'd have dinner with my family. Actually, that's not true. They would have already eaten. I would have got home by about 6-ish, made myself a plate from whatever dinner that they had, and had that dinner on a couch in the living room. This would be my catch-up time with them while I was still on my phone responding to emails and text messages um, for, for work-related things which was funny because this was meant to be my time to actually catch up with my family, but even that time would be interrupted with other things that I was trying to multitask with at the same time. And if it happened that that was also a night I planned on going out to be social, I'd rush through dinner and change and head out. I'd be back home and in bed by 10.30 and then go on to repeat this for the rest of the week. Sounds harmless, right? Sounds like a routine that many would follow, minus maybe the 4 a.m. wake up, which people still find quite strange. But then your body gets tired of the cycle. So in an attempt to fix how overwhelmed I felt, I would add things to the routine. I need to start going to the gym. And the funny thing is that I would add going to the gym or, for example, going to get a massage, but I wouldn't remove anything from the existing schedule. So going to the gym at 6 a.m. meant that I lost an hour in the morning, which meant that I needed to be productive and regain that hour later in the evening, which meant that instead of leaving at 5, 6, I would leave around 6, 7. And that means I wouldn't be home till about 8, 9. Do you see the pattern? And you can imagine the more you repeat this exact same routine with even the slightest variation, it no longer becomes a routine. It becomes who you are. It becomes what you're used to. It becomes what you are known for. 
it becomes the story that you tell yourself of this is why I'm winning. This is why things are working out for me. I am this high intensity person that will stop at nothing to be productive. This routine became my identity over the course of my career. It was the only way that I knew how to function. And what really sealed the deal for me in terms of it becoming my brand was that everyone around me praised me for this. My brand became this thing that I could no longer control or had a say in. It was reliant on what everyone was saying about me in the broader scheme of things. It was super positive and in line with the glamorization of intense hard work, no play mindset. It was why people wanted to work with me, why people wanted to hire me, why I was chosen to be on teams first. The turning point or what I feel was the start of the end of this toxic illusion and the way I was thinking was probably during COVID. You know, for many people, the period of lockdown was a chance for them to kind of take a step back from their lives and reflect and understand you know, where they felt that they were getting the most value. And I feel like that wasn't a luxury I had. For me, I wasn't someone who was built to slow down. Remember, the intensity of the life I created was now my identity. So to be asked to stay home and slow down wasn't going to be an option for me. It was such a hard time for so many people, specifically entrepreneurs, who were trying to figure out how this would not disrupt their livelihood. There was so much that we didn't understand about what was going on that a lot of us used to just confide in each other in asking questions like, what's next? Am I happy? Is what I'm doing enough? Do I want more? Do I want to continue doing what I'm doing once we're out of lockdown? For me, because I possess this personality and behavior that's so strongly rooted in I must keep moving forward, I need to make the best of this, I don't even remember mourning the loss of the life that I had before lockdown. Like lockdown for me just intensified my life. It didn't necessarily take anything away. It just gave me more reason to stick to a stringent routine. I was in survival mode. I don't remember my stress levels changing or my workload decreasing or doing any sort of self-reflecting. In fact, I remember that I would be counting down the days like someone who is in jail, I would be t counting down the literal days for lockdown to end because I, need to, I needed to rush back into the routine that I had become so used to. I don't think I had the luxury, nor did I feel like I even deserved to look internally at my own life and question what it is that I wanted. I needed to make sure that everyone else was okay. My colleagues, my team, my clients, my suppliers, everyone's circumstances trumped mine. Everyone's mental wellness trumped mine. I would tell everyone around me to slow down and take it easy, except myself. If anyone had to prioritize their own life and couldn't make a meeting, I would accommodate them. Meaning that if I was up, because I'm naturally a morning person, and someone, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't make it, they, you know, were only available at midnight, I would literally make it a point to accommodate their schedule. Anything just to keep this metaphorical boat afloat. It was around this time that I started to develop a lot of health issues. I won't go into details about this, but my body was no longer keeping up with the life that my brain had designed for us. It just couldn't do it. The physical issues became huge red flags that I needed to slow down or reevaluate the state of what I was doing. Everything that I had created just no longer felt sustainable. 
So I started to explore other lifestyle options. A year and a half after COVID, I started incorporating more travel into my schedule. The thinking was that I needed more distance between the life that I had created and the life that I potentially actually wanted. I'm a solo traveler by nature, so I always enjoyed exploring new places every year pre-COVID, so this was very much in my nature. But this particular year, I had decided that I was really going to commit to distancing myself from that which was taking so much away from me. So what I started doing was spending my weekdays in Kuwait and weekends in Dubai. And in true Dana fashion, the pace of my life did not change. This was just an additional thing that made it to my schedule that I needed to not only fit into an already intense lifestyle, I would feel guilty about it, so I would compensate by sleeping less, cutting out the gym, smoking more, and loading up on caffeine. You know where I'm going with this, right? I'm reminded of a quote that goes something like this by the author Roberto Bolaño. We interpret life at the moments of deepest desperation. Everything up until this point in my life started to feel very bland. All the things that brought me joy, like work and productivity, felt like they didn't even matter anymore. Nothing was exciting. I was so unamused by everything around me. I became so cynical and felt that everything I was repeating to myself in my head was just negative. I was so critical of myself. I isolated myself from my family. I was very irritable and felt like I was doing the worst job at everything in life. It felt like I was failing everyone including myself. And I got so used to doing things a specific way that even when I needed it, I didn't know how to ask for help. And if I ever tried to articulate it to anyone, it would be met with solutions or diagnoses or just be dismissed. I'd hear things like, you know, Dana, you should be grateful for what you have. Dana, you're clearly depressed. Have you talked to a doctor? You probably need to go on some sort of pills. Uh, the life that you have is the kind of life that anyone would wish for. What are you talking about? Why are you angry? You have everything. You're, you're traveling all the time. Uh, you, you have this incredible life. You have this business. You're an entrepreneur. You have these awards. What do you have to complain about? Honestly, just thinking about the kind of excuses I used to get if I ever even dared to mention that I wasn't in an okay place makes me incredibly sad. And it's, it's exhausting to think about. I remember this one time I literally was at my breaking point and I walked into my friend's house. They were having a gathering. I walked in, my eyes were bloodshot red. I was, I felt so, so heavy. I walked in and the minute someone spoke to me, literally tears started rolling down my face and I, I wasn't crying. They were just, they were tears rolling down my face. I was just, I was gone. I felt like I was a shell of a person. And literally my friends came up to me, gave me a little hug and a pat on the back and said, oh, you're having a rough day. It's okay. I had one too. And they would go on to tell me about their tough day. And even thinking about it now, it shocks me. It shocks me how I had created this. I'd done such a good job of creating this mask of I am okay, where even the sheer idea of me not being okay. Even seeing that was not something that the people closest to me could even consider to be real. I mean, that's an incredibly lonely state to be in. I had never felt so lonely in my entire life. 
I was in a room surrounded by people who knew me and in my darkest hour, they couldn't see me breaking down in front of their eyes. I came across this book called The Joy of Burnout, which I find to be a super depressing title, by the way, but go with me on this. It was written by a psychotherapist named Dina Globerman. She describes burnout using the phoenix metaphor. For those of you that don't know what the phoenix is, it's a mythical bird that comes up a lot in Greek mythology and various different cultures, actually. But the legend goes something like this. The phoenix lived for hundreds of years before burning itself into ashes and then being reborn from its own ashes. It is seen as a symbol of renewal, regeneration, and a metaphor for the cycle of life and death. So the old ways burn, which forces you to look at a new life. It becomes necessary to start again from a place of awareness of what you need to truly cultivate your soul. It isn't just a change in mindset or perception. It's literally a change in life. And that's when I set a plan to really change my life. I decided over the next few months of deliberation that I was going to sell the shares of my company and formally exit, which was an incredibly heavy and difficult decision. I knew that I wanted to take a very long break from work and I knew that I needed to move. It just, it was something that I needed in the circumstances that I was in. Now, I have to say that deciding this is the hardest part of being at any crossroads in life, deciding in general. It took so long to finally decide what to do, but once I did decide what to do, what was great about it is that it almost becomes a lifeline that you stick to because it gives you an objective to work towards. And no matter what, no matter what obstacles come in your way, you just have to continue towards that decision that took you forever to make, but that decision becomes your guiding light. I didn't even tell anyone that was close to me that I was making this decision. In fact, people didn't know about me moving till literally four weeks before I had moved. The plan was to leave, settle in Dubai, take time off working, relax, and then go spend a month in Bali, a la Julia Roberts, eat, pray, love. Literally, it was going to be that with a side of Europe and the States. Fast forward, it was a month before my big move to Dubai. I had more or less finalized the logistical side of how this would work, all virtually, meaning from my computer, while I wasn't physically in Dubai when I was planning all this. So I had my bases covered from the perspective of a place to live and the essentials to kickstart what I would need to settle in. I packed up my entire life into 83 boxes. If I'm being very honest with you, I don't even know how I have 83 boxes worth of stuff. It kind of goes to show you how much I accumulated over the years, you know, symbolically through these boxes and kind of mentally with, with what I was going through. It was August, 2022. I had gotten COVID for the second time in eight months, completely exhausted. I was finishing off final projects with clients and preparing for the final handover of my company, which in and of itself was the most emotionally heavy experience of my entire life. I was literally handing over my baby. And while I knew that it was going to be in good hands and I knew that this was the right decision for me, it was so, so, so hard. I can't stress that enough. It was so damn hard. Every day in that last month felt like it took a year to get through. But also so much was happening that I didn't even realize how fast it all was going by. 
I had some legal documents that I had to finalize. I had to ship my car. So going through customs was a mess in itself. All of these logistical nightmare issues kept coming up last minute, but the good thing was that they really kept me focused on the accomplishment of getting to my objective. Just get through this one meeting. Just get those papers signed. Just finish off this one errand. Just say goodbye to this one person. I was so focused in get it done mode. I kid you not. I don't even remember getting on the flight from Kuwait and arriving in Dubai. That's that's how much of a blur that that last phase was. But I do remember walking into my new beautiful home in Dubai, filled with 83 boxes that were still packed and had completely taken over the house. I literally sat on patio furniture that was still wrapped in bubble wrap, ordered takeout, and just ate. Like I didn't even have the lights on. It was just the lights that were, I didn't have curtains at the time, so it was the street lights that were coming into the apartment. That was the scene. It was the first quiet moment I had had with myself in at least a year. There was no longer anything distracting me from my own thoughts. I had built up what this moment would be in my head, the fruit of all my accomplishments ready for me to finally enjoy. But there was no celebration. There was no sense of accomplishment. There were no more tasks. There was just me and this new life that I decided I was going to have. There is nothing quite as heavy as feeling alone in the world. It's a strange feeling, and the irony is that the loneliness that I'm talking about wasn't due to the absence of people. I knew that there were people that I could reach out to and call, and they would have answered my call and been there for me. But it was the loss of the sense of self that I was mourning in that moment. Day one was quiet, Day two, I went into productive mode of unpacking. By the end of day three, I rushed to the hospital at 1 a.m. in tears and barely able to breathe. We still had a mask mandate back then, and I remember breathing into my hands, trying to calm myself down because I was in such a state of panic, I could not even see straight. My insurance still hadn't kicked in, and there was a million questions that I was being asked in the ER that I had no answers to. And being asked those questions in that moment was just making things worse. I remember lying in that hospital bed freezing, connected to an IV drip with God knows what inside it, and one of those oxygen masks to help regulate my breathing. I was all alone and I was thinking, how did I get here? And I don't mean physically, like how did I get in Dubai? I meant, how did I get here to this point in my life? Especially because I swear to you, if you asked anyone about me, they would have said there was no one who had it more together than Dana. I had done such a good job at taking care of my metaphorical mask that no one ever even questioned what was going on underneath. I lay there crying until the doctor came in. And when he came in, all I could do was continue to cry and barely muster up the vocabulary to explain what it is that I was going through. I didn't even understand what I was going through. And this doctor took my hand. He didn't try to question any of the mess that I could barely articulate. He said, Dana, it's okay. I'm here now, and it's my job to make you feel better. You're in a safe space. I'm here. He grabbed a stool, sat down next to me, and just held my hand until I had calmed down. Even looking back and thinking about it now, 
I can't help but get emotional because what an incredibly beautiful human thing to do for someone else. Just unconditionally acknowledging someone else's pain, whether it makes sense to you or not, and just give them a little bit of your time so they feel a little less alone. After he left, I started to calm down and I ended the evening FaceTiming my brother in Kuwait and one of my best friends in Saudi, Luj, until I was discharged four hours later. The night was over, I got home and I didn't even have the energy to, uh, to wash up. I literally got into my bed in the same clothes and just fell asleep. I woke up the next morning and that was really the moment where everything changed. I got up and took a look at myself in the mirror and I made a promise to myself, a promise that was so real and so serious in its intention that I swear to you it could have been signed off with blood. I took a long look in the mirror and swore that this person that I am in this moment right now, I will never be again. I will never be where I am right now ever again. This is not how I want to spend my life. I don't know how I'm going to change it, but I will. There is no other option from here. There is no other option. It feels like this poetic climax to a cliche story, but I'm telling you, this is exactly what happened. And if I were to summarize the stages of burnout, it would be like this. Stage one, it starts with a rigorous, non-negotiable, unrelenting routine or behavior. Stage two, that behavior starts to get obsessive. Stage three, it's the pain and the self-destruction. Stage four, it's the burnout. Your body, your mind, your soul, everything just collapses. Stage five, the rumination, contemplation, reflection. If I wanted to really sum it up, it's the what the F just happened phase. Stage six, observation, listening, and meditation. Stage seven, change or action. Stage eight, living in the right here and the right now. It took me three years to admit to myself that I was burnt out. It took compromising my physical and mental health for me to take action. It took changing my entire life to learn to ask for help. Needless to say, I did not go to Bali. I started small. I took it day by day. I decided I wouldn't commit to any sort of deadlines of when things needed to happen, although God knows I was asked so many times by those around me. I really had to drown out the noise, and yes, distance did help. I made it a point not to reach out to all of my friends as I wasn't ready to socialize. It's funny because I thought that healing would be this upwards trajectory. I'm sure you've seen the meme of this, but it's actually this super messy scribble where you can take a step forward one day and then two steps backwards the next day. I started with getting back into a gym routine. I had a PT help me. I chose calisthenics because it felt like this great metaphor for where I wanted to be mentally. It is a sport that relies on the strength of your muscles and body versus weights and other equipment. I did it for two months until I decided to move on to endurance training which again represented another metaphor for where I was in my healing four months into it, where I wanted to start building back strength slowly and steadily. During that period, I also invested in seeing a therapist. I sought something a little bit more specific to what I needed. 
Now, I'm a big believer in therapy. I've tried it before and believe that everyone needs to try it at least once in their life. The most common type of therapy is CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a form of talk therapy where it helps you reflect and learn how to cope with particular problems. I've had mixed experiences with therapists, if I'm being completely honest, so I would always encourage anyone listening who's considering therapy to stay open to the experience of finding someone who's right for you. Not every therapist is right for you. You should always judge based on how you feel after meeting them. In my case, I was interested in exploring EMDR. I had never heard of this form of therapy until very recently, to be fair. It stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy. It's a form of therapy that helps you heal from life experiences or traumas. We have an expert who will be joining us on the show along with a few other doctors and neurological specialists who will talk more about this in detail, so don't worry. We will get into the specifics of this, and I want you to learn about it the same way I did, and hopefully maybe even benefit from it. But what I loved about EMDR is that it gave me what I needed at a particular stage in my life when I was looking for it. I wasn't interested in rehashing the specific incidents and dissecting the events that led to my burnout. I had done enough reflection at that point to be sick of talking about it. EMDR was an alternative to CBT because it focused on how I remembered specific incidents and traumas versus the traumas themselves. I worked with a trained clinical psychologist and we spent about six sessions preparing for the EMDR treatment. And I've done about three or four EMDR sessions to date. So even my commitment to this as a process isn't necessarily something that feels lifelong. It came when I needed it. I did it for a specific phase and I feel comfortable enough to go back to it whenever I feel like I need it again. And as I said, a specialist will be joining us on the show who's going to take us through what EMDR is in a lot more detail. I loved my experience with it. I remember asking my therapist after my first EMDR session if, you know, I was so shocked at how I felt after it. Um, because it's not regular talk therapy. You actually, you're holding something that vibrates and you're looking at this light that is moving from side to side and you're listening to something in your ear. It's literally sending your brain into almost a, a REM cycle, similar to the REM cycle that you're sleeping in, because the whole idea behind it is it is supposed to, you're supposed to think about a particular incident or, or traumatic event and it changes the way it's the vibrations and the light and the sound that change the way you think about that incident. So it's quite interesting in terms of technology. And from the first session, I had already felt the effects of it. I asked uh, the doctor, you know, is this, does this really, did it really work or is this just placebo? And he looked at me and smiled and said, you know, Dana, does it even matter? And I loved that response. I absolutely loved that response. Because does it matter if it worked? I mean, who cares? Who cares if it was the technology or if I was just in the right mindset and believed it to be true? It worked and I felt better. EMDR really helped me tone down a lot of the negative thoughts I had tormenting me. And it really helped me gain some perspective in my life. Another thing I did learn during this period of healing was to start learning things. I invested very heavily in ways to learn. I attended workshops, classes, I even took singing classes, and I am in no way a singer. 
But what was incredible about singing was I learned that it was actually a, um, it was a practice that helps you release endorphins and oxytocin, which stimulates feeling of kind of trust and relief, which eliminates any sort of anxiety. It helps you get lower levels of cortisol, reducing stress, and it helps deliver more blood oxygen to your brain which improves mental clarity. And I learned a lot about the connection between the diaphragm, the lungs, the vocal cords, even the shape of your mouth. It, it, it was such a fun activity for me to do. I definitely don't plan on singing publicly. I'm not a singer, but it was a great thing to practice. And in learning more about you know things that entrepreneurs do when they are in these sort of slumps, uh, Sarah Blakely, who's the... Um, founder of Spanx, actually used to take stand-up comedy classes and actually go perform on stage as a stand-up comic to help learn the skill sets she needed in interacting with customers and sales and gaining the confidence she would need to actually pitch her business. So it's interesting to see how it's not just limited to me and, you know, how creative I got with my own healing journey. A lot of people, you know, push themselves outside their comfort zones to find new ways to regain insights and new skill sets to help them heal. It's been almost nine months since my move and since that dark day when I decided that I would change my life. And I can't tell you how much my life has transformed. And it wasn't just one thing that did it for me. It wasn't just the therapy, the singing, the working out, the gratitude journal, the mindset, the meditation, the breathing exercises. It was a combination of all those things. That messy drawing of healing is so true. It is not this clear-cut upwards trajectory like everyone seems to make it out to be. It is messy, it is hard, it is scary, and it can be really lonely. It's a mix of all of those things into one incredible experience called life. And to those that still want to ask me if it was a certain person or my job or my company or my industry or the country I was in that that was the reason that I made this life change— you clearly have not been paying attention because I guarantee you that if all of those circumstances were different, because I am who I am, I would have gone through the same process and realization that I went through in my particular case. It's not limited to geography or the people that you interact with or the context or circumstances of your life. It is life, period. And while I definitely don't think that I'm done with this process of growth, in fact, I think that this is actually what life is all about, there is never a point where we have it all figured out. And I'm very comfortable with saying that now. We're learning and healing as we go, and that is totally okay. So go easy on yourself. If I wanted to sum up today's episode into three key takeaways, it would be the first thought in your head in the morning shouldn't be a reaction to the world around you. I love this. I heard it from Mo Jaudet or Alice Law, and it just really, really stuck with me. Two, your time and energy is limited. Use it wisely. Three, the best part about this journey is your ability to share it. And I think that's something that really is driving what I'm trying to do with this show. If you made it to the end of this episode, I want to thank you for the privilege of your time. Guys, I am loving receiving all of your DMs and comments and voice notes around the content. It would really, really help me if you could take that same enthusiasm and push the subscribe or follow button. 
um, or even like and and comment, uh, leave a review on any of the platforms that you're listening to this podcast on. I really appreciate all the support that you've given me on this journey. And stay tuned. There's a lot more to come. I have a lot of guests coming on board that are going to be talking about topics similar to this. In the meantime, I hope you found something to consider.